0: Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus in the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening.
1: Good morning, my name is Sean Baxter. I'm one of the pastors here, and we will be in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse 10 and going through the end of the chapter as we read his word. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
0: All right. Well, good morning, church. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here. And so uh, glad that you're with us this morning and that you have. I've always wanted to be like a ship captain that's like, there's a nor'easter blowing through. And we actually have one blowing through Rock Hill, which is really weird. Um, But thank you for uh, just prioritizing this gathering, even in the midst of the rain. Um, And uh, I know uh, we can bat down the hatches maybe later on this afternoon. But um, we are today wrapping up uh, a study that we've been in the book of Philippians, And this will be our last day next week at our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Hope you can be there for that. We will just celebrate uh, uh, the coming of, of the Lord Jesus. And so, um, you know, this, this passage that we're in today ha- talks a lot about satisfaction and contentedness. And it just had me thinking, like, in myself, like, on, on my own, uh, this idea of satisfaction. And, and I don't know, like, have you ever really, really wanted something? And I'm talking about, like, really wanted something and you like waited for it and hoped for it, and then you finally got it. And then you realized, well, it was, that was good, that was fine, but maybe it didn't like satisfy that longing that I really had. Like for me, um, the first thing that came to mind when I was like, how has that been in my life? And I thought, has there been a Christmas present? And I couldn't really think of one, no offense to my parents or anything, uh, or, or those who supply Christmas presents. Um, and, and so for me, uh, it was like, a. a a lobster tail from Bova's in Boston. This is the first thing that came to my mind. I'm a pastry guy, okay? And so if you've ever been to Boston and and they're like famous for their cannolis and you go to the North End and you get, you go to like Mike's and they have cannolis there. Well, we met a a local Bostonian one time and this lady was like, Mike's get out of here. You gotta go to Bova's. And we were like, could you say, what was that again? Could you spell that for us? And so we went to this restaurant called Bova's and it's just this, this bakery in this in the north end of Boston, which is this the Italian district, and it's it's wonderful. And you go in this bakery up to that point before COVID had been open since like 1928, 24 hours a day. This family run bakery was just open all the time, just baking and selling things. And so we went in and we got cannolis, because that's what you do, but we also got this thing called a lobster tail. And it's not like seafood, all right? This is like a, a dessert, all right? And it's this mul it's like a hundred layers of flaky croissant-like crust that's sweetened and then stuffed with um, some kind of delicious, it's not custard like a Boston cream donut, not that, but like this delicious vanilla custard. And so you bite into it and it crunches and it's sweet and it's soft and it's so good. And so I had been a number of times and gotten a lobster tail. And I, and I thought to myself, uh, I would love to bring my family here one day. And so back in 2019, our family got to go up to Boston. And I was like, I cannot wait to have a lobster tail. I mean, I want you guys to have one, but I really want a lobster tail too. And so I went and we went to Bova's and I took my family there. And it was all that I wanted it to be in terms of my family getting to experience this place I love. Uh, but I had the lobster tail and like five minutes later, it was over. <laughs> like, it was like, okay. I had so looked forward to that. And it reminded me of, uh, I'm a Clemson football fan. And so I'm a Clemson fan, but uh, and, and also in football. And so for all these years of my life, I've longed for a Clemson national championship. And then in, like, 2016, 2017, like, we were able to, like, climb that mountain and win the national championship, of which my son constantly reminds me that I made him go to bed at halftime of that game because it was a school night. And uh, I deprived him of that childhood memory. And so, uh, but thankfully, we got another chance. And so, anyway, uh, but we won the national championship. On the last second, this awesome play, everyone's going crazy. And the next morning, I woke up and I had to go to work. It was like this thing, all these years, it's like, man, if we could just win the national championship, that would be like the height of excitement. And it was for about 10 minutes. And then the next day we woke up, we went to work. Maybe it's hanging on a little bit longer over there. Okay, I see those hands, yes. So a couple of us are still relishing in that. But my my point is this, like when it comes to satisfaction, we can long for these things of this world. And they give us these little glimmers of satisfaction, but it's so fleeting, it doesn't last, it goes away. And, and then we start walking through life and we realize that we're seeking to find satisfaction in things that change constantly. And the Apostle Paul walks us through that today, where true satisfaction actually lies. And that's our, our big idea for today is this, that true satisfaction is found in seeing that Christ is all that we need. True satisfaction is found in seeing that Christ is all that we need. We're going to see today that we can be content in all circumstances through Christ alone. That at the end of the day, he is our ultimate power and he is our ultimate provision. This truth impacts literally every moment of your life. So as you walk through your life this week, I want you to notice moments that you're hoping to be satisfied in something. Moments that you are are seeking to, to be satisfied or content in something other than Christ. And let him draw you to himself alone. And so we're going to begin in in verse 10 in in Philippians, verse 10 through 13. And we'll see first that we can trust Christ to be our satisfaction. We can trust Christ to be our satisfaction. In, In verse 10, Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul had gotten this letter from the Philippians. He was in jail uh, and he would gotten this letter through the hands of a guy named Epaphroditus. And and, uh, I mean, think about like when you go to the mailbox and you get, you go through the mail, you're like, Bill, Bill, ooh, this one's handwritten. And it only, we don't do a lot of handwritten mail anymore, but when you get that one, you're like, oh, this is amazing, right? Like the excitement of getting a handwritten letter. Uh, and now these companies, by the way, this is side note, the car, these car insurance companies make it look like it's handwritten to you. You're like, I got a letter from someone. And it's just a quote for car insurance. But anyhow, Paul gets this letter from the Philippians and he's excited. He's rejoicing in receiving this letter from them. And, and so imagine you're Paul, you're in prison. One day out of the blue, this guy delivers this letter that's got all this updates from this church that you were a part of. And also, uh, this guy is coming with it. Like, Hi, I'm a Epaphroditus. We've met before. Here's a letter, and I'm here to stay. I'm here to help and serve you. And so Paul was, was excited about that. And he says that at length, they had revived their concern for him. It and It had likely been a while since, since the Philippians had, had been able to contact Paul since that first moment where they partnered with him. And, and he says that you've revived your concern for me. And I just want to point out that with the church of Philippi, it wasn't like, hey, Paul, we're just writing to let you know we're concerned for you. That this letter actually came with finances and it came with a person. That the church at Philippi, their concern uh, led to action. That they, It says in verse 14, I'll just run through a few of these, verse 14 that they shared his trouble. In verse 15 it says they entered into partnership with him in giving and receiving. In verse 16 we'll see that they sent him help for his needs once and again. And in verse 17 we'll see that they sent him a gift. All right. And so their concern for him that we're reading about here in verse 10 is not just this like, hey, thought about you, threw it through a quick prayer up for you. But this was like an actual concern that was met with action, that they stepped in with Paul. And I want that just to be a challenge to us real quick, that as we as the Lord brings people to mind, maybe even people in this room. Maybe even right now you look around and say, hey, where's so-and-so? I'm, I'm noticing that so-and-so's not here, and, and there's a lot of sickness going around, right? And so maybe that your concern for them could be met with action, that maybe there's a moment, and, and Old Town Church, I will say, I feel like we're really good at this. This is something the Lord has developed in us, that, that we don't just sort of offer up a sentiment, I think, about someone, but I'm gonna reach out to them. I'm gonna check in on them. Oh, you're sick, can I bring you something? Or this is going on, can I bring you a meal? Can I walk alongside you? Like this is concern that's met with, Action, and that's what we hear, see here in the church at Philippi. But what I noticed most about this verse, and I want us to see in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you have revived your concern for me. Ultimately, when Paul received this letter, when Epaphroditus came and he came with a financial gift for Paul uh, to support his ministry, Paul ultimately received all of that as a gift from the Lord. He said, I'm rejoicing in the Lord greatly for your concern for me, that I I see what you are doing as something that the Lord prompted in you, and so I'm celebrating him. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He ultimately is the one who is my satisfaction. He ultimately is the one who's providing, and he's doing it through you, and so I'm rejoicing in the Lord. And then in verse 11 and 12, uh, what Paul tells us in these verses is that Christian contentedness should not be circumstantial look at these verses. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. Now hear the contrast that he's drawing here. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. But Paul is saying that we can be content at our lowest, that we can also be content at our highest. And Paul says that he has learned this. I've learned this secret. And we learn something through experience, right? Like Paul's not saying like, I read this in a book and so I know it to be true. Paul has walked that road. He has experienced these things. This is a guy writing this letter from jail. All right. And and these jails, this wasn't just like uh, this like posh kind of like he, they, uh, often in those jails, you had to provide for your own food. So you had to try and write letters and get people to bring you things from the outside because they were not providing that for you. And so I'm sure there are many hungry days for Paul in that prison. I'm sure there are many, many low moments for him. And he says, so in that experience, I have learned the secret. Now, a, a secret is something that not everybody knows, right? Like when we tell secrets like, hey, you know, here's this thing. Or, or Paul often connected the word secret with mystery. He, he, would, he referred to this as a mystery, that it's, it's maybe something that not everybody understands. And Paul's saying that this contentedness that he has is a mystery. It's not a common experience of the world, That true contentment is found in Christ alone. Now, now think for a minute of the circumstances of your life. I mean, just what has gone on we, just over this last year that you have likely had many highs this last year where you're like, man, that was a great day or this moment that I had or this experience. I man, that was awesome. And then you've had moments over this last year that were low, 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 where you just felt alone, where you felt abandoned, where you felt like, how am I ever gonna get out of this? We, we experience these highs and these lows. Life is, is such a roller coaster. And, and where our circumstances are low, what we often do is we just long to get out of that. So we're in a, in a low moment, and I want to be out of that moment as quickly as I can. Like, God, get me out of this. I hate where I'm at. Get me out of here as quickly as you possibly can. And, and, and we realize, we, we, we kind of call these seasons. That, Megan one time, my, my wife Megan, uh, I was like, well, is this is just a season of this. And she's like, will you stop using that word? Like, there's always another season after that season. Like, they're always just, I'm always hoping in this thing to be over. And the reality is I'm just walking into another moment ahead. And so we long to, to be out of these seasons where the circumstance is going to be over. But we realize in those moments, we have such little control over the circumstances that we're in. We have such little control over the difficulty that we're facing. It leaves us trying to take power on ourselves. Like, okay, if, if life... Is just not going to get me out of this. I'm going to get, I'm going to get me out of this. I'm going to take control of this. And so we start grabbing for control of things, trying to get ourselves out of it. And we realize we just don't have the power to do that. And so the truth is, in that system where we're in these low moments and we just want to get out and so we try and work our way out of it, we're always hoping in something to change. We're never satisfied with where we actually are. This is an awful way for us to live, and this is exactly where the enemy wants you to be, despising your difficulties, despising the season you're in, desiring to be out of it, on to something better than where you currently are, forsaking the one who put you where you are. And so Paul is telling us that a, a, the secret, a secret to being content in all circumstances, whether the circumstances are super bad or whether they're super good, And that secret is not to be focused on the circumstances themselves, but the one guiding you through the circumstances. And so in verse 13, we we come to this verse that we're all likely familiar with I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I want to address this verse really quick. uh, Probably one of the most misused verses in scripture. For clarity, this is not a promise for your football team to win a game or for you to perform well, uh, nor for your multi-level marketing Facebook business to succeed. Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't get just, we can't just take this verse out of context and be like, I'm gonna apply this to whatever I'm pursuing right now. Like I'm gonna run a hundred mile mega marathon. Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but like, that doesn't mean I today or tomorrow need to go run that race. Like that's not, I don't get to just take that verse and be like, all right, Lord, let's roll. You know, that's not how this works. We can't just take this out of its context and use it however we want. And so I want to just like pastoral aside for us as we're reading scripture together, just a reminder that when we, when we study God's word, when we read it, we can't just take a verse we like and apply it however we want that we have to take that verse in the context of what it's saying. And so often what what we need to do is we we take that verse and we say, okay, in this section, does does the way I'm thinking about this verse make sense? And and if I look in the greater chapter, does this verse make sense in the the chapter? And then we we zoom out to the book. Does this verse make sense in the the greater sense of the book? And then I apply it across all of of Scripture. And and, and does this verse, like like Ecclesiastes 10.19 says this, uh, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Okay. So I think we can see that ultimately that's, I just plucked that verse out of Ecclesiastes. And if I walked away, I would be like, okay, bread's for laughter and I love bread. So that's great. Wine is, is for wine gladdens life. All right. So if I want a more glad life, I just drink more wine and money answers everything. All right. And we can sit here and know, first of all, in our experience of life, none of those things are actually true. Okay. But second of all, we know that's not what scripture teaches, but if we pluck a verse out of scripture, we can do a lot with it. Right. And so this verse in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not your like rubber stamp that God gave you to say, I want to do this thing and I'll stamp this verse on it. And that means I can do it. All right. That's not actually what we're talking here. What is Paul talking about in the context? He's been talking about contentment in all circumstances. This is not a verse about your your ability or your potential to achieve a thing. This is about God strengthening you to be content in all circumstances. What this verse is saying is that Christ gives us the strength to be satisfied in him no matter what our circumstances are that Christ strengthens us to be content. And notice that Paul wasn't trying to get by during his low seasons with this focus on what could be ahead. He, He wasn't at this low point trying to find hope out of that low point, but he was saying, I'm in prison right now. There might be moments where I don't even have food to eat, and yet I've learned the secret to contentedness, that I can be satisfied in Christ no matter what is going on in my life. Paul had learned to be content in any and every season, in any and every circumstance. And so, church, here's the application for us. Our pursuit should not be abundance. Our pursuit should be Christ. Our pursuit should not be deliverance from difficulty, even though that's what our nature wants to, be. like, getting out of this as soon as possible. Our pursuit in the difficulty should be Christ, and he strengthens us to be content no matter our circumstances. And so I want to say something that's hard to hear, but it's just true, and you know it, so I'm not telling you something you don't know, that that God doesn't promise our immediate delivery from difficult circumstances. As much as we want him to do that, that's not the promise that he gives us. But he does promise that he can strengthen us to endure those difficult circumstances. And in Romans, we know that he promises he's using those things to make us more like him. And so another way of seeing this is that we receive whatever Christ gives us because he is the one strengthening us to walk through it. And so if he gives us a difficult season, listen, some of you are looking back on 2023 and you're like, yeah, don't want that again. And and some of you are walking into 2024, you don't know what's coming at you. And and. This is where this truth meets us is that no matter what the circumstance, we can be content because Christ strengthens us to endure through whatever the circumstance is. Ultimately, we can always be completely satisfied, not lobster tail satisfied, not national championship satisfied, but completely satisfied because Christ is our satisfaction And we always have an abundance of him. He does not restrict himself from us. And so our ultimate satisfaction is not in getting out of difficult circumstances or staying in good circumstances, but our satisfaction is found in Christ, and he will strengthen you no matter what the circumstance. And so a question for reflection for you today. I just want, at the end of each section, I just want to give you a question for reflection. Who or what besides Christ am I seeking to satisfy me? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a thing that you're seeking to satisfy you. Like if I just had, end of the year, if I just had a little more money, just a little more, just a little more and then we would be in a good spot, then I would be able to, or if I just had a little more time, like just a slower season, if I could just, all I need is just a week away and, and whatever else, maybe just a little more comfort, like a little less things pressing in on me. If I could just have that, then I would be satisfied or, or maybe it's a more sinful pursuit. Maybe you're looking towards a substance or an experience to satisfy you. Maybe you turn to, to food. I'm not trying to like kill your holiday here. I'm just saying like, what, what's in your heart as you pursue that, that's a struggle I have. That, that I just, that, that comfort that I wanna avoid the circumstance or whatever's weighing on me and I, I'm gonna run to this because it satisfies me just for a moment. Maybe you turn to alcohol, just a, a glass of wine at night, just to relax, knock the edge off, like just kinda decompress from the day. Or do you seek to be satisfied through sexually graphic images and pornography? You know, the the reality is whatever it is, that thing, that these things only leave us more empty and wanting more. And so I don't know if you've ever chased sin to be satisfied in it, but it just keeps going. You just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and, and it never actually satisfies just left emptier than before. Or or maybe you're seeking to be satisfied through a person. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a friend, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Like if I just had this person in my life or I do have that person in my life and I need them to be this for me. If you're hoping that they will bring that contentment and satisfaction that you're craving, I'm here to tell you, you will end up empty again. Never, church, listen to this. I heard Paul Tripp say this, so this is not me. This meant a lot to me. Never expect from people what only God can give you. Never expect from people what only God can give you. They cannot fill you up. They cannot satisfy you. They do not give you value. He has given you your worth and your value. And in doing that to them, trying to be satisfied in them, you put a crushing weight on them to be something they can't be for you. Another person cannot meet your deepest needs, but Christ can in complete fullness. And so this morning, one of our big applications for you out of this is just to take some time this week to prayerfully evaluate this question, who or what, besides Christ, am I seeking to satisfy me? And as you do that, you can be met with the truth that we can trust Christ to be our satisfaction. He is there to meet that need in its fullness, and he will strengthen us to be content in all circumstances. Point number two, we can trust Christ to be our supplier. Verses 14 through 20 walk us through this idea of of Christ being our supplier. Uh, Look at this in verse 14 through 16. It says, yet it was kind of you, talking to the Philippians, yes, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. What we see here first as we think about this idea of Christ as our supplier, we see first that often he uses us to help one another, that that he supplies us with what we need through one another. He uses us in that way. He, he uses us to help supply one another's needs. I mean, even right now, this is like a tangible example. Uh, it, you know, we, we have a benevolence fund that is separate from our budget. It's just this thing that you can give to, and we take that, that fund, and we help meet needs of people in our church when they're hitting a low season financially or if, they need, uh, if, the, if, if counseling is something that they need to pursue, then we can help provide that for them. That's a way that you do that uh, when you give in that way. And, and it says that this church in Philippi, they partnered with him in giving and receiving, that they sent help to meet his needs once and again. What we see here is God using the church at Philippi to meet Paul's needs and specifically the needs for Paul's ministry. Um, that This is going to uh, the, uh, a beautiful, it's like a picture of gospel partnership. They're meeting those needs and, and now the gospel can be advanced even more. And and so uh, what I wanna do is just take a, a little bit of a look at how that w- might look for us personally, like two ways that, uh, that, that God... Um, uh, that we could experience this kind of partnership uh, in, in our own lives. First, uh, we partner with one another here locally, that the, there is in this local church by giving your time, um, you know, we're, we're just uh, celebrating some of our volunteers this morning and, and just the time they give, even our worship team who's serving every week just to, to lead us in worship. This is the way that people use their time, they use their uh, abilities to, to serve the church, but also uh, in giving financially. Um, that that they do that. That one way you engage is give financially or or become an official member here at at Old Town Church. And this isn't like a plug to do that as much as to say we we see that as a step of discipleship for you. And so as you do that, you're, you're participating in a gospel partnership where we can advance the gospel more together. So it's this idea of like, as we all give and we all sort of chip in and we work together that now we as a church can be made more healthy And as we as a church are made more healthy, we also, the gospel is is advanced in the community. Uh, But second, this church is partnered in gospel work locally and around the world. And so, like I was saying, we we give in here towards the inside, but that also helps us push the gospel uh, to the community. And so we have a a bunch of partnerships locally here in in Old Town that we're involved with. And the the intention of that is, is gospel advancement. Um, but, but also we have churches that we are locked arms with uh, through the Pillar Network, through the Southern Baptist Convention, that we're like, hey, listen, if we all join forces together, we can actually get further, faster together. And so the gospel can be advanced better if we cooperate with one another. But specifically here at Old Town Church, uh, one partnership we have uh, similar to the one, you know, the church in Philippi was sending finances, they were sending people to help Paul and his ministry. Well, uh, one partnership that we have is with the church in Bangkok, Thailand. And, and so we're sending finances. Last year we sent people uh, to help advance uh, that, the gospel work that they're doing there in Bangkok. And so just like heads up to everybody, like we want to go back in 2024. And, and so if you are interested in learning more about partnering, being a part of that Bangkok uh, church partnership that we have, we're going to have an interest meeting on January 17th. And it's just like, hey, what does this mean? It doesn't mean you have to go on the trip. This is more about, like, how do we pray for them consistently? How can we be in contact with them? Are there things we can send? And there's a trip that we're going to take. Who would like to be a part of that? Who can lead that trip out? And so that will be coming up. We'll talk about it a lot more so you won't miss that date. But January 17th, we're going to talk about, hey, we have this partnership in Bangkok, Thailand. What's that look like? We see it evidenced here in the book of Philippians. That's something we're walking in now in that way. And so we can trust Christ to be our supplier. And one way that he does that is through us helping one another. And then in verse 17 through 18, Paul says this, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. I I just want us to see, and Paul is pointing the Philippians to this, that we are sanctified as we trust him to be our supplier. That it grows us up as we trust Christ to be our supplier. Paul encouraged the Philippians that their gifts were an investment in the work of God. And that as, as much as an impact as those make for gospel work, they also were matured through that. That, that. that it is counted to their credit that they are grown up in that trusting the Lord with those gifts. And so as they are sacrificially giving, it's also an investment in their own growth and maturity. God uses this type of giving to grow us more and more into his image. When we give sacrificially, we reflect the character of Christ who gave himself up for us. And in this specific instance, they're talking about financial giving. And so I wanna take just a few moments to talk about giving financially to the local church. Now, we don't talk about this much. If this is your first time here, I'm like, you're like, oh, okay, here we go. Here's the guy asking for money. I wanna say from the very beginning, I'm not asking for money. What we want and what Paul is talking about here is the growth that comes from us trusting the Lord with our finances. The ultimate goal is not about dollars and cents, but about gospel advancement. And so our financial giving to the local church serves two purposes. First, it builds up and strengthens the ministry of the church. All right. And, and so giving financially, wh- whether uh, you're giving 5%, 10%, 15%, I'm not. i am not here to put a number on it for you. The idea is that you're saying, Lord, this is yours. You've given it to me, and I'm giving it back to you to be used for gospel work. And, and so I'm, I'm trusting you with that. Now, here's a reality. You could use that money for a lot of different things, all right? Like you trips to Disney World, whatever it is, I don't know what that is for you. Like you could use just lots of coffee, whatever. I don't know what your thing is, but like giving 1% to the church is 1% that you don't have to spend on something that you might need or something that you might want. And so that sacrifice is a sacrifice you're making. I want to be super clear, not to Old Town Church. We'll let you down. So don't make it to us. If you're giving to us as an entity, like you'll be like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. You're giving it to the Lord. It's a sacrifice you're making to Him. You're saying, Lord, this is mine. This is the church that you've called me to be a part of, and so I'm going to give this to this church and trust that you are going to use that in a way. I'm trusting, Lord, you are not only going to use what I'm giving, but you're going to supply what I need. And so financial giving is really an act of worship. It's it's acknowledging the extreme worthiness of the Lord and offering back to him a portion of what he has blessed you with. But second, not just for the the health and the strength of this church, but it also goes to your own sanctification. We talked about this a moment ago. It builds up our trust in the Lord. You say, okay, Lord, I'm going to write that check. I'm going to push that button or however you give in these days like, that's, that's money going out, Lord. I, I need you to provide for our needs. And so, so I just want to take a moment for you to consider, like, is the Lord calling you to that? Don't hear guilt from me. If you're right now, you're not giving or you don't feel like you're giving what you should give, like, don't hear me saying, give more. Like, everyone, everyone, get your, everybody just bow your heads, get your checkbooks out. And like, that's not what we're doing here. Ultimately, In the context of this passage, what we can see and what Paul is pointing out to them is their sacrificial giving actually grew their maturity in Christ. It sanctifies us. And so what I want most for you and what we want most for you is your growth in the Lord. And if this is something he is calling you to, I want this to be spirit led for you, not something that we put on you. If he is calling you to that, I would love for you just to prayerfully consider, like, what, Lord, what do you want from me? How do you want me to give, not just of my finances, but also of my time and my abilities for the building up of your kingdom? Let him lead and guide you through that. But church, I'm asking you, pray about that. Let that be something that he walks you through, because ultimately... And all that we're doing, whether it's it's through the preaching and through the, the worship and through small groups and equip classes and all these other things, it's ultimately so that we can all see Christ as more beautiful and grow in our trust in him. And one way that we do that is by taking these steps of sacrificing what we feel like we need to hold on to and saying, Lord, I trust you with it. Because ultimately, we can trust him to be our supplier. And I love how Paul rounds these verses out in verses 19 and 20. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his, look at this key word, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, as we make these sacrifices, we can trust him to be our supplier because his riches know no limits. There's no limit to that. He can and will provide for us all that he knows that we need, and there will never be a moment where he can't do that. I mean, think about this for a moment. Like, think about your life and then think about him. There's never a moment where he can't supply our needs, where a situation gets out of control or his supply is like, it's starting to run low. I need to kind of ration out what I'm doing here. He never gets that moment. Like, I don't know if you've had this moment. You get the bill in the mail, and you're like, whoa, Ooh, I need to take a deep breath. I don't know where that's going to come from. Like the Lord is never like, oh man, like that need they have. I did not see that coming and I have no idea how I'm going to provide it. He can supply all of our needs according to his riches that know no limits. No limits whatsoever. And this develops a trust in him in two different ways. One, because we know that he can provide it. And two, because we know if he doesn't, he knows that's what's best for us. And that, that's not the easier one. We want the one where you're like, I got this bill. Can you send me a check, right? Like, can, you, can these things equal out? But sometimes he doesn't provide what we think we need because he knows what we actually need. And so even in those moments, it allows us to trust him deeper and deeper and deeper. And though Paul specifically here is talking about supplying our physical needs, we also know that God has provided abundantly for our spiritual needs in Christ. Because of our sin, we were in need of forgiveness and rescue, and God provided Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin and to purchase for us abundant enjoyment of God forever. He didn't just wipe the slate clean. He adopted us into his family. And so we get to enjoy him forever through Christ. And so a question for reflection for you is this. Does my life display that I trust more in Christ or myself to be my supplier? Like as you walk through life, do you see yourself like, all right, Lord, that's cool, you want me to do that, but I'm gonna hold on to it for now because I kind of see this coming ahead. You know what I'm saying? Like, Are are you the one saying, Lord, it's cool, but I'm gonna kind of call the shots on this one. Does your life display that you're trusting more in yourself or more in Christ to be your supplier? And church, I just want to say to us, if we are trusting in Christ to be our supplier, there are some steps of faith that he is going to call us out into that are scary. But the beauty is, if we know he has called us to it, we know he's going to strengthen us to walk through it. Last point, we'll just close out on this one. We can trust Christ to be our sustainer. As Paul closes out this letter, he says this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we wrap this up, Paul encourages them in who they are in the gospel, who they are as a result of Christ. In verse 21, uh, we can see that we can rest in his salvation. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is a, a simple reminder that we are saints, that we are counted righteous In Christ Jesus alone that each one of us can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus not through our own good efforts not through financial sacrifice not through serving we're not saved through that we are saved through Christ alone and that by faith in him we are considered saints that we find rescue that we find forgiveness in that but in verse 23 and Paul's always I mean in this book and and everywhere He says, the grace, the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We we pass over these words so often. But I don't want us to, to lose the amazement of the grace that we have experienced. That we neglect the grace that we walk in daily. This letter, Paul has packed it full of the grace of God from start to finish. It's a reminder, even at the, at the beginning of the book, to remember that the great grace of the Lord that we are, that we are sustained by. We are sustained by his grace. And, and from the beginning, we see, and I'm just going to quote some verses from the book, that God promised to complete the work that he began in us. That he has given us, it says, access to the mind and attitude of Christ that sacrifices for the good of one another. And by this, a diverse people can be unified. It says that he is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says that that we have learned that God has made us his own through Jesus. And so we are able to press on towards growing more mature in Christ. And that by his grace, it says at the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And as a result, he is transforming us into his image. And as a result of that, we can stand firm in the midst of whatever we are walking through. And by His great grace, we studied last week that we can make our requests known to God. And through this, we meet the God of peace who extinguishes our anxiety. And we just saw that by His grace, He will supply all of our needs. Church, we can trust Christ to be our sustainer. By Him, we've been adopted into the family of God for all of eternity. We can find great rest in knowing that He is our sustainer, sustainer forever. And so I just want to ask this question of each of us this morning. Have I, have you, have you ever trusted Christ to be all that you need for salvation and sanctification? Have you ever trusted him in this way? Have you ever placed your faith in him alone? Not in all these other things, not in your, like, I've, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like 80%, I'm pretty good, but I just need an extra 20% to kind of finish off the salvation job. Like, it's 100% him. Have you ever laid down all of these things that you think are good works on your own and said, all of that is filthy rags, it's rubbish, Lord, I need you. Have you ever surrendered and placed your faith in Christ alone to be your salvation? It is only by his grace, through faith in him that we can be saved. And church, just as a gospel reminder for us, like that is a free gift he gave us. It's not one that we had to earn. And this one's for me, maybe not for you. It's not one that I have to go back and prove that I was worthy of being saved. So even in my saved life, I don't have to say, Lord, now I just want to prove that that I can can be what you need me to be. No, 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 I still, I get to rest in him for my sanctification as well. That I can trust in him to provide that for me, to sustain me in that. So as we wrap up today, we come back to our big idea that true satisfaction is, is found in seeing Christ as all that we need. Church, listen. He is all that you need. He is all that you need. And in him, in him alone, there is a never-ending satisfaction to enjoy, not even just here on this earth, as we experience contentedness in our struggles and in our in our really great moments, but for eternity, an eternity of delighting and being satisfied in him forever and ever and ever. He is all that you need. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we turn to you as our ultimate satisfaction. We confess that, Lord, I'm like, I'm preaching this and I need it. Father, I I need you to help me believe this to be true right now. God, I need you to walk me in this in my daily life because I turn from this truth in a heartbeat and seek satisfaction in so many other things. And so, Lord, we, we know that you promise that if we drink of you, we will never thirst again. So, Lord, we turn to you and, Father, I pray if there are those in here who do not know you, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, give them the faith to believe in you, and, Lord, help them to put their faith in you and you alone. Help us, Father. That's your name we pray. Amen.